I get really nervous when I hear the highly recommended part. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's something to live up to here this morning. I'm not sure who that was, but I'll get, I'll get even with them later on. My name is Tim, Tim Keep, and um, I have one wife. Uh, her, name is, her name is Rebecca or Becky, and you'll get to uh, hopefully uh, meet her on December the 3rd. I think she's going to come and be speaking for you and sharing a story. Um, you guys like gospel music here, I, I, I understand. And uh, so maybe this will be a little bit of a connection maybe to somebody. Um, anybody heard of the Collinsworth family? Okay, so my wife is Kim Collinsworth's sister. So that's a little bit of a connection for you. So already we're friends, right? <laughs> what could... What could go wrong uh, this morning if I'm related to the Collinsworth family? Um, So, yeah, we live in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, We have been uh, involved in missions work for 27 years. And uh, we've been 30 years this past June, 30 years in in ministry, Christian ministry after seminary. And... um, been a wonderful, wonderful time. I've been married for 45 years. Excuse me, 35, not 45. I'm not that old. 35 years. 35 years. Yes, I am not that old. Um, actually, I'm not hardly old enough to be married 35 years, but um, we got married very young. Uh, I was 19. She was 17. We have five children, and now uh, we have five grandchildren. So I am a grandpa, a papa, very proud, Papa. If you want to see pictures uh, after a while, you come, come, and, come and ask me. Uh, so we, uh, maybe I'll share just a little bit of our journey uh, this morning in the message, so I'll, I'll hold off on some of that, but um, that's, my, that's our family. So we reside now in Cincinnati, Ohio, I think I said that, and we've been living there since 2009. We spent 13 years in the Philippine Islands, and then came back to Cincinnati uh, and settled down there. And now I direct a ministry called Shepherd's Global Classroom. And I would love to tell you more about that sometime. It's a growing ministry that is reaching around the world, 47 countries now, and growing. And we are uh, very thankful for the privilege and opportunity we have to serve, especially served, underserved pastors and Christian leaders from just about every denomination you can think of uh, around the world through training, especially through training. So that's what we are involved in these days and are very, very happy to be uh, serving the Lord and in the center of His will. Isn't it good to serve the Lord? Amen. Amen. He saved me. Uh, maybe my, my, my uh, number one calling card ought to be this this morning, that the Lord saved me at 17 years old and just uh, in one evening totally changed my life and the direction of my life, which was not going well, and totally changed my life and set me in a new direction. And uh, I I desire nothing more this morning than to proclaim the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ, which is able to change anybody, amen, anybody, and to turn them from darkness into light. And I've had a privilege of sharing that message around the world and have seen uh, not uh, just through my ministry, of course, but 
through ministries around the world have been able to see uh, lives transformed. And I could never unsee what I have seen. Amen. And it's wonderful to, to see what God does. And uh, so, with that little bit of introduction this morning, will you stand with me? And I want to talk today, I have, I have, I, I know nobody here, I, I am a little bit acquainted with Tim, um, who was at a church where, that we uh, visited, and um, so I know Tim a little bit, nobody else here I know, so I can say whatever I want to say. For as long as I want to say it, because I, I may never come back. Not really. Uh, I probably will come back with Becky. But, um, but uh, I, I want to talk to you this morning about discipleship. What does it mean to, to be a follower of Jesus? I, I don't like just to play church. Do you? I don't like church games. I don't like to play church. I don't want to just come and just do the churchy thing and do a good sermon. I really want to know uh, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And I also know that I'm speaking to the choir this morning. Most of you would, and maybe all of you would profess, I'm a disciple of Jesus. But we can always learn something more about what that looks like, about what that means, right? And be reminded of what true discipleship is all about. So that's what I want to talk to us about this morning, as the Holy Spirit will help us today. In Luke chapter 9, I've been meditating here. This is not a message I preached before. I said, Lord, what should I speak this Sunday morning, and this, is, this has been the truth that I have been meditating on recently in my own quiet time. I just want to share the things that I feel like the Lord is teaching me, and as I'm sitting at the feet of other people as well, and they're teaching me, um, I want to just share the things that I am learning from Luke chapter 9. And we'll begin reading in verse uh, 57, verse 57 of Luke chapter 9. As they, disciples and Jesus, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. May, May I just pause there for a moment and just say, and I won't leave you standing long, I promise. But just pause there to say that just right before this, in this context, Jesus was walking with his disciples. And Luke Luke kind of positions this right after this event. Jesus is walking with his disciples through Samaria. Anybody know that Samaria was not the place that most Jewish rabbis would take their disciples through, right? But Jesus is going there. His face is set on Jerusalem. And um, he goes through Samaria. He sends his disciples ahead of him to make, um, you know, to find, find a hospitable place, to find hospitality, a place to spend the night, no doubt, to make preparations, it says, for him, no doubt, to spend the night. But they refused. They said, no, he's not, he's not staying here. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not having you guys, your, your rabbi, your disciple. we're not having you here in this place. So it's interesting how, you know, of course the disciples, they want to call down fire from heaven. Jesus, should we just go ahead and call down fire from heaven? Not, not, the, not the perfect response of a, of a, you know, faithful disciple of Jesus. But anyway, it was a great opportunity for Jesus to teach them a lesson. Like, you guys don't know what spirit you're of. That's not who I am. I didn't come to take people's lives. I came to give life, right? 
But it's in this context then that Jesus says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. I literally have nowhere to sleep, you know? I'm just out there on the hillside. I'm out there finding a place to sleep under the stars. That, that's where I'm sleeping. Anyway, I don't want to spend much time there, and you're standing, but that's the context here. And then to another. So here comes another disciple. To another, Jesus said. So he said. So now it's the first disciple says, hey, I would follow you, Jesus. And now to another one, Jesus is the one who says and offers an invitation. And he said, follow me. And he said, uh, Lord, first, let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead, bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. Let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Notice that twice in here he talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, really what this is about as well. Let's just pray together this morning. Father, I pray that you will uh, say something deep in our hearts today that will uh, maybe adjust the way we think about spiritual things, about discipleship, about the life of the Christian life, that you will uh, just take us up the road in some area spiritually today. Speak to us. May your Holy Spirit accomplish your purpose through this message, through your word, through your word today, we pray. Give me the, the ability to speak uh, clearly, coherently, and with anointing today. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So one of the best ways, I, I think, to, and the scripture seems to teach and, and, and believe, is that the best way to teach sound doctrine is to tell stories. And uh, 80% of the Bible is narrative. It's, it's story. How many of you love stories? I, lo- I like stories. And this is a great story. So there's this, here in this, in this short uh, story, three encounters. It's just packed with theology. And I think there's a theology here of discipleship. A theology of discipleship. Now before I, I, I get into um, what I believe uh, Jesus is teaching us about discipleship. There's four things I think he's teaching us about discipleship. But before I get into that, I want just to make a few observations for you from the context here this morning. First of all, it's not uncommon for people in Jesus' day and in these days to misunderstand discipleship. Amen? It's not uncommon for us to misunderstand what discipleship is is really all about. We don't really know, many people don't really know what they're signing up for when they sign up to be a disciple of Jesus. And that's what was going on here too. Oh, I'll be a disciple, sure, I'll be a disciple. A little bit sort of cavalier, a little bit uh, lighthearted, you know, hey, that sounds like a great idea. Um, I want to be part of the team. 
And Jesus just has to make it clear to them and also to us today what we're really signing up for when we sign up to be a disciple of Jesus. And I think it's important, don't you, to know what we're signing up for. The second observation is this, that expectations and motives really matter when it comes to following Jesus. Expectations and motives really matter when it comes to following Jesus. So Jesus is not um, like some are today, some preachers, teachers. He, he is not um, trying to attract. This is not really very, much, very attractional, right? He's not really trying to attract disciples. Hey, come follow me and I'm going to give you a great and, and beautiful life. And uh, man, you're just going to be living life to the full. It's just going to be an amazing experience. And man, you can't imagine all of the uh, adventures we're going to have together. Now, serving Jesus is an adventure, and it's a lot of, a lot of joy. But, but Jesus isn't doing that. And he, in fact, uh, he really doesn't ever do that. He does promise life, and he does promise eternal life. And he, he said to his disciples, follow me, and I'll teach you how to be fishers of men, and he, he does promise to be with us, but he doesn't promise us a bed of roses, right? right. And, and so expectations and motives are important. Why are you following Jesus this morning? Or why are you professing to be a follower of Jesus this morning? I'm not questioning your profession, but why is it that you are following Jesus? And that's important, right? Because I've got a sister right now who's dying of cancer. And she's full of joy, not because she has cancer, but she's full of joy because she never expected that the Christian life was going to be free from pain. Or that when she prayed, and she still prays, and we all pray for healing, that somehow Jesus owed it to her to bring healing physically to her. That's important this morning. That's important this morning because I hear a lot of people, man, they're all disappointed. I mean, I can't imagine how many of us we prayed. We prayed for healing and God just didn't choose to heal. Expectations are important. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Never promise us that kind of life. He doesn't, when, when, you got to be careful how you read the promises when it comes to prayer. In all prayers in the context of the will of God, and God never promises to do anything outside of His will for us and out of His sovereign will for the world. History is going somewhere, amen? We talked about the kingdom of God this morning. Somebody prayed about the kingdom of God. Wow, praise God for that prayer. That's, that's what it's all about. It's the kingdom of God. He, he's the ruler. He's, the, he's the, the king. He's doing something in our world today. And it's wonderful. But it oftentimes will cost us. It will cost us something. So expectations and motives are important. The third observation is this. Maybe this is the most important one. That in this story... Jesus is calling disciples who are spiritually minded. Those seeking something more than tangible, temporal things, but the things that are heavenly and eternal. 
And Jesus is like saying to, to them, and you got to just, just think about this. When he says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. Don't make it about your dad. Don't make it about your family. He's, he's, not, he's not saying dads aren't important or funerals aren't important or family isn't important or where you sleep isn't important and what you're going to eat isn't important. But what he's saying to us is I'm offering something much more substantial than that. I'm offering something spiritual. Spiritual. I'm appealing to your heart. I'm appealing to your soul. I'm appealing to your spiritual life. I'm appealing to your hunger and your thirst for righteousness. I'm appealing to that. I'm not appealing to the world or the things in this world. Even the good things in this world and the things that I created, I'm not, these things will pass away. But what I'm appealing to are the things that are eternal, the things that will remain. And that's really important here. Because when, when Jesus says, look, and what He's offering here, He's offering Himself, He's offering us a certain kind of life I'll talk about in a moment. I'm, I'm offering you this, I'm offering you something maybe you didn't expect, but I'm offering you something. He's appealing to those who have a hunger and thirst for spiritual things. May God help us. And the reason why so many in the church today just are so out of sorts when things go wrong is because their minds are set on earthly things. Even our health. Even our health. I got news for you guys. Your health is going south. Some of you a lot quicker than others. But anyway, I stood up this week. I'm 54. I stood up this week and like, my, and I love to exercise. And I walk every day four miles. I, I get up and do exercises every single morning. I think I'm fairly healthy. I don't drink enough water and all that. But, you know, I think I'm pretty healthy. But I woke, I, I, I stood up like something happened in my hip. It like went out of joint or something. I'm like, what is that? What in the world? I hobbled around for a few minutes. I'm like, you know what? I think this is what my, you know, I, I have a missionary friend. An older guy, he passed away, and he passed away during COVID, but just a, a wonderful guy. And I would always say, Dr. Reif, how are you doing? He'd say, oh, I got that TMB disease. Now, what's that? Too many birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us got that disease, right? And if you don't have it now, guess what? You're getting it. But Jesus is offering us something very substantial this morning. This is what discipleship, in discipleship, he's offering us something substantial. Your looks are going to be gone. Your health is going to be gone. Eventually, you know, many of us, our finances aren't what we'd sure like that to be. That's for sure. And some of, some of that disappears. And sometimes, man, just things happen. And, and just uh, our families, circumstances of life. But Jesus is offering us something spiritual this morning that is substantial, that, that, that when all of that is gone, we have joy and we have peace and we have assurance and we have security. 
That's what he's offering us this morning. And if that doesn't appeal to you, you say, well, I, I'm good with that, but I sure would like the other things too. Well, I, me too, all right? But if it doesn't appeal more to you that you have the things that are eternal than these things that are tangible, the things that are temporal, things that are passive, then you might need to check on how deep your discipleship is this morning. So here's four things that I think Jesus is teaching us about discipleship. And I, this goes a little bit probably deeper than just, well, you know, he's teaching us not to delay when he calls us and things like that. That's all true. And it's here in this when he, he says, you know, follow me as well. Let me first do this. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't procrastinate. It's got to be, it's, it's right now. Of course, that's true. But there's something, there's, there's four other lessons here about discipleship. I think Jesus is clearly teaching us. Maybe it's not quite as obvious, but, but it's, it's just, it's here in the text. It's right here. First of all, it's this. That discipleship is a commitment to a life of faith. Discipleship is a commitment to a life of faith, a life of total dependency upon God. In these three encounters, all three of these encounters, we see the necessity of faith. You see, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But Jesus wasn't saying, but I pity myself. He's just saying, what I'm telling you is that I don't know where I'm going to sleep, but I do know that my Heavenly Father will provide. Right? So, so he's not saying, if you follow me, you're not going to have a place to sleep. What he's saying is, I don't know where it's going to be, but I do know that my Father will provide a place. Because discipleship is a call to a life of faith and total dependency on God. And sometimes when the, the longer we serve the Lord, the more self-sufficient we become. Does that scare you? Does that frighten you? And May I just say that if you're a a young person, young couple here this morning, we do have some of those. Thankful for that. Learn young to be fully obedient to the Lord. And and choose when you're young to live a life of dependency on God. And then at every turn in the road when he says, hey, I want you to do this, or I want you to give that, or I want you to sacrifice, don't argue with the Lord. Because living a life of faith is a wonderful life. The Lord, uh, I remember when uh, very clearly some powerful lessons along this line the Lord taught me when I was young. Taught us, my wife and me, because we got married young, as I said. She was 17. All the, all the Keaton, that's the Kim Collinsworth is a Keaton. So all the Keaton clan, there's nine of these siblings. They're all, one is in heaven now, and eight still remain, and they're all very close. And... Uh, they all got, all the girls got married pretty young, and uh, I don't really know why that is, but anyway, it's just the way it, the way it, it went. And so we got married young, and um, uh, I think they just found guys they just couldn't resist, something like that. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm teasing, but um, the Lord called us then to go to Bible school and prepare for ministry. I didn't know, I didn't know, we didn't know what we were going to do. She wanted to be a nurse. 
I wanted to prepare for, for some kind of ministry, so we went to a place called Hope Sound Bible College. I don't know if anybody here knows that name or not, but we went down to Florida, and um, we had, you know, we didn't have two dimes to rub together, but we just knew God had called us to go there. We did our best to save up a little bit before we went down, but that soon ran out, and paying uh, her nursing school bills and my college bills, and I remember some occasions while we were there, uh, in fact, two, very, and there were many, I'm sure, but two really stand out to me. One time, uh, we needed $200 to pay for her, her final bill in her nursing program, and we had been so busy that we had forgotten that it was due on Monday morning, and this was Sunday evening, and we were busy with a Bible camp that was taking place down there. And I'll never forget this. And this is how the Lord can prepare us. He can prepare us for the life that he has chosen for us. And it was a, it was a Sunday night. We, were, we went and got in bed together, and we were just laying there. And all of a sudden, in the darkness, Becky said, Oh, Tim, I totally forgot. I have a $200 bill that's due in the morning. And they said, Don't bother coming to class if you don't have that final, if you don't have the final payment for your nursing program. And I can't miss. What in the world are we going to do? Well, it was a perfect opportunity for the Lord to teach us something. And so I, I just remember, like, we had, no, we had no other recourse. And I remember we just held hands together. And I just said, let's just commit this to the Lord and see what the Lord will do. And we just prayed. It was midnight on a Sunday night. I'll never forget it. And we prayed, said, God, you, you've got to supply this need for us. At 12.10, after midnight, so 12.10, we got a knock on our door. Who knocks on the door at 12.10, right? And somebody came to the door and said, you know, I don't know why. This is crazy. I hope you guys weren't sleeping. Of course, we're not sleeping. It's only midnight. And, uh, but we, I felt like the Lord wanted me to bring this to you, and they just handed us a check. And we just said, thank you so much. That was so kind of you. And we shut the door, and they were like, you know, now we're like looking at it, exactly $200. And there was another time when it was $50. And I remember uh, I went home from class. We needed $50 because now we had a little girl, a little baby, and she needed to go to a doctor's appointment. We needed $50 for this. It was really important. And I remember, uh, you know, I came home from class. This was weighing on me. $50 just seemed like $1,000 back then. And it was weighing on me as the dad and, as, you know, trying to provide for my family. And I was working as much as I could. But I, I got on my, on my face there on the living room floor. My boss was coming in a few minutes to pick me up for work, take me over to Jupiter Island where we took care of rich people's properties, you know. And I laid on the floor, just, I just cried out to God, literally tears. I said, God... You promised to supply our needs. You promised to provide for us. We're seeking to walk in obedience to you. And, and would you just please provide this need? In a few minutes, my boss came, and I heard the door slam on his truck. And that was strange to me because he always just beeped the horn. I'd come out. I'd go out and meet him, and he'd take me to work. And uh, he came to the door. He knocked on the door, and he said, Tim, I don't know why. This is really strange, but I feel like I should just give, you, give this to you today. Never did that. And he handed me a, a bill, and I, I said, thank you. I tried to be real, you know, thank you so much, real calm. And uh, I closed the door for a second. I looked, and it was a $50 bill. And I'm like, 
I just, I had a little shouting spell. I don't, have you ever had one of those? Like, I, had, I had a little shouting spell, you know, and then I dried my tears and I went out and just acted like everything's cool, you know. Thank you so much. But that's how the Lord began to teach us about a life of faith. And then we were called into the ministry. And then we, in, in, two, in 1996, early in January, after three years in pastoral ministry, where we saw God do some wonderful things and bringing people to salvation. We were making disciples, but the Lord was unsettling us, and we just felt a call to missions. I had felt that call. Becky had felt that call when she was young, and I felt that call while I was preparing for Bible school. And uh, in January, uh, through it, just I can't I don't have time to tell that story this morning, but the Lord miraculously called us, uh, unmistakably confirmed his call on our lives to go as missionaries to the Philippine Islands. And, and a lot of things transpired during those days. And um, the Lord just kept answering one prayer after another. But I wanted to tell you this. Um, Tim mentioned this this morning. I just wanted to sort of mention this to you and sort of set, set things up for Becky to come and share with you in, in December. She'll share the story. But a year into our missionary life where we were seeing God do some wonderful things and a whole vision of church planting among tribal peoples was 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 unfolding and we were just participants in that we weren't leading that we were just participants in this wonderful vision that god was was doing there but in a year into that our third child jesse was born and uh a year into that he was diagnosed with cancer called retinoblastoma cancer tumors of the eyes and we were just we were just blown away. We're like, God, how could this possibly be? You so unmistakably called us to, to missionary life. We have set our hearts on this being a career. We just believe this is what you called us to do. How could this possibly be your will? And that led, of course, to, to lots and lots of treatment, chemo, radiation, four years of treatment. Uh, we had to come back to the United States. We thought it might be six months, maybe a year, and then two, and then three, and then it turned out to be four, and then Jesse com- lost his sight right before his first, fourth birthday. They did surgery and removed his one remaining eye, and now Jesse was totally blind. And I remember uh, all the thousands of people who were praying for us and praying for Jesse and and uh, how many times we laid hands on him and fasted and prayed for God to physically heal him. I remember the day walking in a little pine forest beside the house where we were, we were staying. It was a borrowed house, and that's another miracle. And we were walking in a little uh, pine, I was walking in a little pine forest. I was on my seventh day fasting and praying that God would show us, show up. Somehow, if there's something in us that's stopping him from answering prayer for Jesse, if something in me as a dad just fasting and praying and seeking the face of God, that God would heal him and spare his sight. He could see, he could run and play. He was a very vivacious young boy, almost four years old. Loved life. Couldn't ima- I couldn't imagine as a dad, you know, letting them do the final surgery to, to remove his, his sight. Couldn't imagine trying for him to go through the, the rest of his life like that and us trying to figure out how to navigate all of that. And so we were fasting and praying. And I, I remember John eleven 
meditating there where Jesus is delayed. You know, they say, Jesus, come and your friend is sick. And Jesus, it says that he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he delayed two more days in the place where he was. And I said, I'm wrestling with that, saying, God, how can you, how can we reconcile delay with love? How come you're not hearing us? How come you're not answering prayer, and yet you say you love? But then I read on, and Jesus said to to them, goes to Martha, and he says, Mary and Martha, and they say, Jesus, where were you? And he says to them, did I not tell you if you would believe me, you would see the glory of God? And that day, God just lifted the burden from me. And I knew all I had to do was trust my Heavenly Father. He would be glorified. I remember clearly the Holy Spirit saying to me, Son, I don't want you to pray anymore that I'll do this or that. All I want you to do is just pray that whatever I choose to do, that I'll be glorified in it. Isn't that, that's, that's, a, that's something that God wants us all to pray this morning. Amen? He just wants to get, this, get us to that place. Or say, Lord, whatever it is, just be glorified in my life. Just be glorified. Advance your kingdom through it. Or I'll let Becky share the story that Jesse's a worship pastor in Dallas, Texas today. Graduate of, semin- uh, graduate of uh, university. He's a musician. He's played with Kim Collinsworth on her stage. Beautiful musician. And uh, a story about his life has touched many, many people, including... We went back to the Philippines for another eight years. And in a country where we couldn't have we couldn't have imagined or planned this, but in a country where there's so much suffering, so much injustice, in a place where blind people and other people with disabilities are marginalized, they saw a kid flourish. They saw the healing power of God, a different kind of healing that Becky will talk to you about, a healing of the heart that gave him the ability, and still to this day, as he's leading worship, as I'm here, he's leading worship in Dallas, Texas, in a church plant, and loves every minute of it, but watched God do a different kind of healing, the healing that enables you to thrive even when God doesn't remove the very thing you could never, you, you never thought would be compatible with happiness and joy. You say, maybe this morning there's somebody here who says, I don't, I don't know how I can ever be happy because or if or, you know. But what happens in discipleship when we truly follow Jesus and just relinquish everything to him is that he gives us the ability to be full of joy and peace And yes, even happiness with the very thing we never thought we could ever be happy with. Amen? I've watched it happen so many times. 
Relationships are broken. All kinds of things happen in our lives. But God can give us his peace and his joy in the midst of this broken world that we live in. So Jesus is calling his disciples to a life of faith. And, and, and that's what discipleship is, my friends. It's, it's a life of faith. You may not know where you're going to sleep, what you're going to eat, but you know that he'll take care of you. And that's what Jesus is saying to them. And even the, the guy who says, well, let me first of all, uh, Jesus, go take care of my father. I don't know about this father. I have a feeling Jesus knew a little bit more about what was going on in that relationship because he calls the father a dead man. <laughs> He's like, let the dead bury their own dead. Now, I don't know what was going on there, but Jesus knows everything, right? And Jesus knew. He had insight maybe into this. Maybe, maybe this is a son that said, and maybe said to his father, Father, I'd really like to go follow Jesus. But the father has said, well, what about me, son? What, what about me? Who's going to take care of me? And, and no, you know, I, I'm not happy with that. And, and no, you know, you, you, can't, you can't do that. You can't do that to me. You can't do that to us. What, what will people think? Right? You're following that rabbi. And, and, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a father who was just unwilling to release his son. Maybe that's what Jesus meant. Let the dead bury their own dead. But you, you follow me. Maybe, that, maybe that's what he meant. But it meant something. Somehow this, this, this and it's very clear, Jesus wasn't saying your dad doesn't matter. What was actually happening here, happening here and commentators agree on this, what was happening here was that, was that here was a man, this, this, he, wasn't, he wasn't asking to go and, and you know, dig a grave for his dad and, and go do a funeral service. He was saying, no, his dad was still alive. His dad was still physically alive. But he was saying, let me go wait until my dad is, is gone. And then I'll follow you. It was an indefinite kind of, indefinite period of time that the man was asking for. And Jesus said, oh no, there's an urgency. When I, when I call you, you have to do it now. But here's the thing. The life of faith means that I don't know how my dad's going to be taken care of. I don't know how my parents are going to be taken care of. But here is a call of Jesus to follow him. So I need to obey him in that. I need to do that. Let him take care of my father. Let, let him take care of my family. Oh, Jesus, yes, I'll follow you. But first of all, let me go say goodbye to my, my family. And we don't know what that meant. Maybe that was also kind of an indefinite sort of season of life. Let me, in this season of my life, sort of say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says, no, trust me with your family. Trust me with your dad. Trust me with your family. Trust me with all of that. So Jesus is calling us all to a life of faith this morning. It's also a life of obedience. That's what I see here. The second individual the disciple, this would-be disciple said, Jesus said to him, follow me. There, that was a moment, think about this, that was a moment in time. That was a, that was a, a Jesus looking into the eyes of a person, I don't know if it was a man or a woman, looking into the eyes of that person at that moment, knowing his story, 
knowing his cares, knowing his concerns, knowing everything about that person. That was, that was Jesus looking into the eyes of a, a person with a name and a story and a history and saying, you, right now, I want you, I want you to be my disciple. I want you to follow me down this road. Jesus had chosen him at that moment, at that time, had chosen him to be a disciple. And the young person or, young, or the person said, I want to do that, but first. If discipleship is anything, it's obedience. Jesus said in John 8, whoever will hear my word and continue in my word, he is my disciple indeed. So when Jesus speaks, when he says, come, when he says, follow me, the ministry I'm involved in right now, the Lord put this on our hearts. In 2012, I, we came back from the Philippines in 2009, and I was chosen to be the director of our mission organization. And then uh, in the midst of that, I was seeing a need around the world for especially underserved pastors and Christian leaders who, and you may not know this, but 85% of pastors in the world have never had an opportunity for any kind of theological or ministry training. 85%. That means that 85% of the churches and congregations all over the world representing millions and millions of congregations. 85% of churches are pastored by pastors who are doing the best they can, but they've never had a chance to sit at someone's feet to learn to be taught. And Jesus let us see this, and he let us see this, this, uh, this need and this, this, the brokenness of so many, the hunger and the thirst in the hearts of so many Christian leaders. And I was in Mozambique, Africa, and they were begging for training, begging for training. We were sitting, we were out under a tree along the beautiful coast of Mozambique, Africa, out under a tree, no electricity in the village, and we were out under a tree uh, at a little table, and, and we were, uh, uh, I was teaching, they were learning and taking notes, and I was doing the be- I felt so inadequate, but I was doing the best I knew how to do with the resources that I had. But my heart was broken. And I began to, to, to say, uh, during that, those days, I began to say, God, this doesn't make any sense. Here I am, one person, coming, spending thousands of dollars to come here to Mozambique, Africa, and all this, and, and to invest this time and this money to come here for a few days. But I have nothing to leave them. And maybe someday I'll have a chance to tell you this whole story too. But in the midst of that, Jesus uh, called me to form a team to do something about the need of undertrained pastors around the world and to equip them, to equip others. And that's the ministry now called Shepherds Global Classroom that is serving uh, the needs of pastors and pastor trainers in 47 countries. But Somebody said to me the other day, 
And I, I give all the glory to God. He knows how, much, how dependent I am day by day and week by week for this ministry. But someone said to me the other day, Tim, just thank you for obeying the call of God. And I will tell you, it took 10 long years of just work and, and investment and some, lots of sacrifice and just hours of drudgery and trudging along and God bringing together a team to form this ministry and God just affirming and confirming and supplying the needs for this ministry. And then we decided to give it away for free, to give all of our resources away for free to pastor trainers. And then when we made the choice several years ago that we're, we're just going to give it away and just let it go. Freely you've received, freely give. And from that moment on, God began to bless the ministry like we had never seen before. And to this day, even this week, amazing to see the provisions of God. But I want to tell you, I just say all that to say this morning. What's God calling you to do? Because if discipleship is anything, it's obedience. What's he calling you to do? Who's he calling you to minister to? Maybe it's your neighbor. We have a neighbor, and, and, and uh, Becky goes over there often to take her food. She's bedfast most of the time, living there all by herself. God's calling you to somebody. He's calling you to minister to somebody, to do something for him and for his kingdom and for his glory, to serve somebody. You say, well, I feel inadequate. I don't know if I can do that. I know, what, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. I felt that way probably a million times. But obedience is the key that opens the door to everything that God wants to do and provide for us. Amen? The third thing I'll just say real quickly is this, that what Jesus is teaching us about discipleship here is that discipleship is a call to him. It's a call to him. It's not a call to just the Christian life. It's not a call just to obey a certain set of rules and commandments. It's not, it's not a call to, I, I have a certain lifestyle and that I dress in a certain way or I, I do certain cultural things. And I. Discipleship, my friends, is a call to Jesus. If I could say anything to young people this morning, what, what captivated me as a young man as I grew in my Christian life after he saved me, was that a call to, the, to, to following Jesus is a call to Jesus. Amen. It's a call to Jesus. And Jesus told the story, the, the man who finds the treasure in the field. He said the kingdom of, of heaven is like the man who finds the treasure. Well, who is the treasure? The treasure is not an it, right? The treasure is Jesus Himself. He, he's, he's the fullness of God in a body. The creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, Colossians 1 tells us. He, he's the one, he's the reason all things exist and why everything holds together. And I, I remember how I was confused as a young person. I said, I said, Lord, man, this church says this and my church says that. I grew up in a really legalistic church. I was glad to look at your webpage and you say non-legalistic. I said, praise God, I want to go there. I was raised in a legalistic church, and there were some good people there. I'm not, I'm not down on everybody. There were some good people there, some prayer warriors there. But it was a very legalistic environment. And I said, God, man, they say this, and this group says that, and 
Everybody has a different opinion about, you know, lifestyle and all kinds of things and the way we dress. And you know what I mean? You guys, you guys know that, right? You know, the world's kind of a church world can be a, a, a dangerous place. Scary place. I remember the day. The season, I should say, maybe more like the season. The Lord began to teach me just to get my eyes on Jesus. Get my eyes on Jesus. Get my eyes on Jesus. He's the glory of God, John 1 tells us. He's the fullness of God in bodily form. He's, he's the one that everything is about. He's the, he's the, he's the main character in the whole narrative, the whole story of redemption. It's all about Jesus. And the Lord just began to teach me, get your eyes on Jesus. Can I, can I just say, say this more? When, when Jesus called the disciples to follow him, just physically, he's there physically with them. I just got back from Israel. That was our 35th, not 45th, our 35th wedding anniversary trip. God blessed us with that from a friend. It was an amazing, amazing thing. We just got back like three weeks ago. Thank God, right? Thank God we got back just in time. It's an amazing experience. And, I, and it gives us a, more of a heart to pray for what's going on in that part of the world. We met Palestinians and we met Israelis. And Lord knows that they both need our prayers right now. But Jesus, when we walked, and we walked along those shores where Jesus called his disciples, we sailed on the Sea of Galilee and all that. Anybody else ever been to Israel? Yeah. It's an amazing adventure. But when Jesus called his disciples, he said, follow me, right? Follow me. And they physically, they left their nets and they physically followed Jesus. Now, we can't physically follow Jesus right now. I mean, he's not here in physical form, is what I mean. But spiritually, our, our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Like He's what it's all about. Amen. And of course, I don't mean that we don't follow Scripture. Of course, we follow Scripture. This is what this is the whole story. It's about Him. But it's Jesus is the center. That's why He says Hebrews says, "Fix your eyes on Jesus, the Author and the Finisher of our faith." Put put aside the weights, the sin that so easily besets you, and run with patience the race set before you, looking where unto whom Jesus. Right? The author and the finisher of our faith. And we look to him. Lastly, I'll just say this. Just I don't have time for this today. But it's about the kingdom of God. Jesus twice here, he said, you, you, you let, let the dead bury their dead. And no, you don't have time to go back and say all your goodbyes and everything. Like this is really, really uh, important for you to follow me right now. Because right now is when I'm calling you. He says, but there is an urgency to going out and proclaiming the kingdom of God. You know what the kingdom of God is? I asked my small group that this week because I was meditating on this. I said, what is, what is the kingdom of God? And we talked about that a while. And one person said, well, of course, it's heaven. Right? Kingdom of God is heaven. I mean, that's where we're, we're going to go to heaven someday. And that's the kingdom of God. I said, well, thank God. I mean, that's sort of part of the story. But the kingdom of God is life lived under the reign of Jesus Messiah right now. And its constitution is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And, and he goes on to say, when you kneel at the altar, you come to bring your gift, and somebody has something against you. You, you and that comes to your mind. You leave your gift to the altar, and you go, and you make amends because that's what the kingdom of God is all about. It's not like the kingdom of this world where we hold grudges and we don't forgive people. The kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God is that, no, now you're living under a different reign. Now you forgive. Now you love your enemies. Now it's not just, I, I'm just pure on the, on the outside, but now even, even my thought life is brought under the reign of Jesus Messiah. He's the king, and I live under his reign. And I don't boast and brag about how much I fast and pray. And I don't worry about everything that's going to happen, and what I'm going to eat, what am I going to drink, and what am I going to wear. He says, no, in the, in the new reality, now the new kingdom, life under my reign, you can have peace and joy and satisfaction knowing, and go to, go to bed at night knowing that I'll take care of you. That's the kingdom of God. It's life lived under the reign of Jesus, the good reign the good reign of Jesus, the Messiah. And what a wonderful way to live this morning. Amen? So it's a life of faith. Discipleship is a life of faith. It's a life of obedience to the word of, of Jesus. He says, if he says go, we go. If he says stop, we stop. If he says stay, we stay. But it's life lived in obedience. And it is a, it is a call to follow Jesus. It's about Jesus. And then it's, it's, it's all about the kingdom of God. We, we live under the reign of Jesus Messiah. I think that's what Jesus was teaching us in this little story, these three little stories that happen. I think he's teaching us about what it really means to follow him. So may God help us today. You guys like gospel songs? You like, I'm sure you probably know this little song. Could you stand with me for a minute? I'm sure you probably know this little song. See if we can sing. I'm not the musician in the family, but I'll see if I can get us started. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Sing that again. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, Still I will follow, though none go with me, still I will follow, no turning back, no 
turning back. One more. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. I can see that's your testimony this morning. Thank God for his presence here today. Let's just thank the Lord. Father, thank you for your presence today. Oh, thank you for the call to discipleship. Thank you for choosing us. You said to your disciples, you haven't chosen me. I have chosen you to go and to bear fruit. Oh, Father, help us today to to just be aware this morning that we have been chosen by Jesus to be his witnesses in the world, to be his disciples, and to walk with him. What a privilege, what what an honor, what a privilege. Let us live up to that by the power of your Spirit in us today. And Lord, if there are those who just aren't sure this morning, their commitment is a little bit like these these who wanted to follow Jesus. I pray their commitment would, would just be sure today. They would recommit themselves afresh and new. I will follow Jesus. I will follow him. I'll follow him now. I'll follow him now. And I pray that would be true today. In the name of Jesus, amen. And uh, I'll just say this before I turn it back over to the MC this morning, that if uh, you want to hear a good preacher, you come on December 3rd and Becky will be the good preacher, I would tell you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>